Anybody here ever use Dr. Tishner's mouth stuff? You know, I did a couple of years ago, and I still had half a bottle there in the back. Since I was losing my voice rather quickly, I went back and I went to gargle, and about, I splattered it all over my face and everything. You know that Dr. Tishner's, after you've gargled, you can't breathe in. You go, <gasps> and then there's nothing. It just grabs hold of your throat and says, I'm not letting go. That's how we cure you, buddy. Anyway, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. To try to save my voice, I'm not going to read the passage we're covering at the beginning. And, uh, but we will be going through those verses, and that's verses 1 through 20 of Galatians chapter 4. But first, what I want to do is review the things that hopefully we have learned from the book of Galatians, all right? First of all, the author of the book of Galatians is who? Paul. Very good. Man, you're a lot clearer than the morning crowd was this morning. We gave two basic dates that a lot of the commentators argue over when it was written. The first date, the older date, is what? 58. And the second date is an earlier date, and that is what? 49. Do you realize that just those two things alone, there's a whole lot of professing Christians that don't have a clue the answers to either one of those questions. And the others would be the same way. The book is written to who? The churches of... Okay, let's try it together. The churches of... Very good. And the perfect... And by the way, the churches of Galatia, that would be in the central part of what we know as Turkey today. It would be the area that the Apostle Paul covered on his first missionary journey when he went to Antioch of Pisidia and Iconium and Derbe and Lystra. Uh, that was in that particular area that he's writing to. Uh, the purpose of the book is what? To correct error. Very good. And the theme of the book is what? Justified. And it is very important that we always remember that about this book. It is not about standards. It's talking about being justified by faith throughout the whole thing. doesn't suggest that standards are wrong. I'll tell you when standards are wrong. Standards are wrong when you believe you have to do certain things in order to be saved. You know, we believe, for instance, people ought to dress right. But you can dress right and still die and go to hell because dressing right doesn't take you to heaven. It's important that we understand the theme throughout this book is justified by faith. And the key verse is found in chapter 2 in verse what? 16. 16. So let's all turn to it, young and old alike. Let's read it out loud together. Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now this is key. Remember, we are reading this and we're studying the book within its context. A lot of times when we do a series on a book, people have a tendency to think that the book is having to do with simply different sections that are not necessarily related. 
But this whole book is related together. You remember how he started the book. He started by a salutation. And as soon as the salutation was over, he began going after them because they were changing their belief about salvation. Some people had followed them, followed Paul uh, in amongst the Galatians, people that came out of the uh, area of the churches of Jerusalem. And they were saying that they had to keep the law and be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to be saved. Now, if that was the case, that would be a justification by works. And that's not what Paul taught them. So he rebukes them. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him uh, unto another gospel, which is not another. And then he let him know. He said, if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then in the latter part of chapter 1, he reminds them that he didn't get the gospel from those people that came out of those churches. He got it from Jesus himself. Now that forces them, the people of Galatia, to make a decision. Is Paul telling the truth or is he lying? Now we know he's telling the truth. Isn't that right? And, uh, but here's the thing. Paul had come, brought the message to them. Many of them supposedly had trusted Christ as Savior. But now when these other people came in, they were listening to them. People do the same thing in our churches today. Their favorite TV programs, the preacher may be one who brings a lot of heresy because it's new ideas and it sounds good. Or they have a new internet pastor now that they're following because they like the way the guy speaks, whether he's soft or whether he's loud, whether he's brash or whether he seems to be a, a nice teacher. But you better listen to the doctrine and you better be careful that you follow the scriptural doctrine. There's some strange stuff all over the internet. Whether it be YouTube or TikTok or any of those things, social media is full of heresy and you need to have the discernment to stay away from that, which is contrary to the scripture. Well, you remember we talked about the people that had followed him in, what was the basis for this book. Uh, they, they had followed Paul. As a matter of fact, their story is given to us at the end of Acts chapter 14 and the beginning of Acts chapter 15, where Paul said there was no small disputation and dissension with them. I mean, there was a big fight that went on, and that led to the Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter 15, where the church at Jerusalem made the ruling. No, we're justified by grace through faith, and they sent that out. Now, there's still some things that we should do that we should not do, and there are certain things that we should do, but we don't do those things in order to be saved, but because we are saved. We are justified by grace through faith. We got to chapter 2. Paul continued on in his testimony when he went to Jerusalem that James and the other apostles had nothing to add to him, that they all preached the same message. The, the apostles preached the same message uh, Paul had preached. And, uh, and then, though, Peter, you'll remember, had gone up to the church at Antioch where Paul and Barnabas had been at. And he was eating and fellowshipping with all the believers, the Jewish believers, the Gentile believers. But when some of these people from the churches of Judea came up there, Peter separated himself from the Gentile believers and would only eat with the Jewish believers in that church. So Paul withstood him to the face. Listen to me. If you believe right, you ought to act right according to your belief. 
And that's what he gets after the Apostle Paul about. Instead, here he is trying to make a difference or at least going along with the difference. And here's something else you need to understand. Every Christian needs to understand this. You do have influence with people. And what you do, people see. And you can sway people to even do wrong. Peter was swayed to do wrong by those people from the Jerusalem church. You've got Barnabas was swayed because of Peter. And some of the other Jewish believers that were from the church at Antioch that had had good fellowship with the Gentile believers there, they had also been influenced by Peter. You better make sure that your life matches what you believe in all your actions. So he deals with them about that and reminds them that we're justified by faith in Christ. We already did verse 16. Look at verse 20, uh, 21, I'm sorry, of chapter 2. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If you could go to heaven by keeping the law, then Christ did not need to die. We got to chapter 3, no change in subject, still dealing with this matter of faith, he says in verse 2, This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. And the obvious answer was what? By the hearing of faith. So then he says, are you so foolish? Notice how he's talking to these people. He's disgusted. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect in the flesh? They should have been able to get this already. They got saved by faith. And guess what? And the Spirit of God uh, that gives faith, we look at this, and it's very plain. You're not going to stay saved by your works. Let me just go ahead, jump ahead a little bit to chapter 5. When he gets to chapter 5 and he tells these people, you're fallen from grace, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, and all these groups that believe you can lose your salvation... They have to make fallen from grace to mean that you have lost your salvation. But contextually, that's not what it means. They have fallen from the teaching of grace, but they hadn't lost their salvation if they ever had it. Now, Paul is wondering whether or not they ever got it. We're going to see that in the passage that we're reading today. But uh, understand, and by the way, if you would fall from grace, how would you fall from grace if it meant salvation? That would mean that you were doing things wrong. But if you're trying to keep the law, then you're living a better life than most everybody else. Here were people trying to keep the law in order to go to heaven, in order to be saved, in order to be justified before God in their own righteousness. You take a look at the people at Corinth. He doesn't doubt their salvation and their lives were all messed up. But yet he still says some good things about them in chapter 1. He said, you've come behind and no spiritual gift. Says a number of good things about the Corinthians before he begins to rake them over the coals. Anyway, we get back here to chapter 3. No change in subject whatsoever. Paul is not dealing in chapter 3 with sanctification. He is dealing with salvation, just as the entire book is. You are saved by grace through faith, justified by faith. For instance, if you look at verse 11... He says, but that no man, this is in chapter 3, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. He says the same thing in chapter 4 of the book of Romans in verses 1 through 5. 
Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And you remember that we are blessed in Abraham's seed. He's not talking about the Jews. He's talking about Jesus Christ and he makes that very plain. I mean, after all, if he said seed, he's not talking about Isaac. Abraham had, had several children. He had Ishmael. He had the children by Keturah, his wife after Sarah died. And so he had a number of children. So it's not of his seeds, but of his seed. And he states very plainly in chapter 3 that that seed is Jesus Christ. So the law was added to show us as sinners. He made that plain. You get to verse 26 of chapter 3. I wish I had a full voice today. Because this does get awful exciting. He says, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized unto Christ have put on Christ. Now remember that word baptize means to put into. It's interesting the way he's saying it here. As many of you as been put into Christ have put on Christ. And then he says at the end of verse 28, for ye are all, the, all one in Christ Jesus. Now, you remember in this, he made this statement in verse 28, for there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for we are one in Christ. That doesn't mean we're non-binary. Males are still males and females are still females. What does that mean? When you were lost, both men and women were lost for the same reason. When you get saved, men and women get saved the same way. Bond and free get saved the same way. There is no difference in how you get saved. There is no difference in what God did for men. He also did for women by putting his son on the cross of Calvary to die for our sins. That brings us to chapter 4. He has brought up the subject that we are now children of God... Through faith in Jesus Christ. For you're all the children of God by faith. So we get to chapter 4. And now he is enlarging on our relationship with Christ. The, the argument continues. Still dealing with being justified by faith. Notice he says. Now I say. That the heir. As long as he is a child. Differeth nothing from a servant. Though he be Lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Now he's using a physical illustration to teach a spiritual truth. You remember what he said back in verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. God put us under the law, notice, to bring us unto Christ uh, that we might be justified by faith, same subject, but after that faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. Everybody was lost according to the law. Everybody. The law points everybody to the only one who ever fulfilled the law, Jesus Christ. Because only in the one who has fulfilled all parts of the law can we be saved. And when you trust Christ as Savior... Now, as far as salvation is concerned, you are no longer under the schoolmaster. It has done its job. Someone has said, 
probably a very smart person, made this statement that when you're studying the scripture, every passage may have many applications, but only one interpretation. That interpretation is God's. Let me give you an example of that with this passage alone. I use this verse in dealing with the education of our children as an application, not what the passage is directly saying. Uh, For instance, he says that we're under, as children, we're under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Whoever is teaching your children, whether it be the husband, the wife, or the church, or the public school, whoever is teaching your children, you're responsible for, and they're under the teachers you put them under. But now notice what he says here. Under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the fathers. So you are responsible for who's teaching your children anything. You're responsible. You say, well, my kids are in the public school. Well, you're responsible for what they're getting down there. If they're getting transgender training, that's on you. That's your fault. Because you're letting them be trained down there. Okay, you're responsible. If, uh, if you bring in a tutor, you're responsible. If you put them in the Christian school, you're responsible for what they're getting in the, in the Christian school. If they're being taught at home, whether they're getting a, a good education, a great education, or a poor education, you're responsible for whatever they're getting. But now, I'm using this as an example. That's an application I can make from this passage, but... That's not what the passage is about. Passage is about being justified by faith. That we, our schoolmaster, we all, as lost, were under the schoolmaster that was trying to teach us we needed to turn to Jesus to be saved. And when we get saved, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. And that's the point that he's making here in the passage. So, even so we... When we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see, I'm not only a child of God by the new birth, but I'm a child of God by adoption as well. He has adopted me. Man, I am doubly a child of God. And if you're saved, you are too. We are heirs together with him. The law did its job. It pointed me to Christ. Do not misinterpret what's being said here. He is not saying that the law has no more influence over us. Its first job was to bring us to Christ. But Paul will write a few years later in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. There are people who say, well, you know, we're not under the law anymore, so I don't even worry about the Old Testament. I only read the New Testament. That's false. It's still good for doctrine. It's still good for reproof. It's still good for correction. 
It's still good for instruction in righteousness. It'll never save you. But it's still good for all those things in your life. So make sure you get that right. Now, in moving on, he says, when the fullness of time has come. Why didn't God send his son right after man sinned? Fullness of time hadn't come yet. As a matter of fact, we could do a lesson on uh, Jesus came at a time. You got the Roman world, the Roman laws, the Roman uh, transportation system was available for the spreading of the gospel. At that time, that part of the world had, because of, Roman inf- uh, because of uh, Alexander the Great's influence in 300 B.C., they all spoke, uh, spoke Koine Greek beside their own language in the country where they were at. So there was a common language common road system, common laws that would allow them to spread the gospel in those first few centuries. Jesus came at the right time. He always comes at the right time. Just like in John chapter 11, when he waited two more days after hearing Lazarus was sick. And then he left. He gets up there. Lazarus had been dead four days. Why did he wait? He always comes at the right time. You see, Lazarus was good and dead. So what do you mean by that? Well, hey, nobody could deny that he was raised from the dead. He was good and dead. He hadn't just swooned. He'd been dead for a while. Besides that, uh, many of the uh, Jewish scholars believe that the soul departed after three days. Well, we know the soul immediately goes to heaven or hell when they die. But that's for another time. All right. So the truth about heirs, his point, we're justified by faith, not the law. He's drawing on the point of chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, the time appointed to the Father in this case, that in this case, in this passage, the time appointed is the time of salvation. When you get saved, that's the time that you become an heir of God. That's when you belong to him. So made of a woman, he says. Made under the law. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Right after the fall, God gave Eve a promise that she would, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of the verse. The verse just ran out of my head. So I'm going to turn back to Genesis chapter 3 and I'm going to read it. Chapter 3, verse 15. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and notice her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And then in Isaiah 7, 14, you've got the promise of the son that would be born, would be virgin born. And that is quoted again in Matthew chapter 1 about his coming. Why did Jesus come? To redeem them that were under the law. That's why he came. Or as Paul writes in 1 Timothy, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So here's the point, to redeem them who are under the law that you might receive and that I might receive the adoption of sons. That is when when I became a son by the new birth, I was also adopted as a son. So I belong to him completely. And because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father, no more a servant, but a son and an heir of God. That's my connection with Abraham. Through who? Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 8 that Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. 
Wow. Didn't even have a Bible. But he saw Jesus' day. That's, that boggles your mind just to sit and to think about that, meditate upon that. Now, to show you how Paul is so consistent, of course, the Holy Spirit of God's moving him to write what he writes. Turn over to Genesis, Genesis, Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, here in Galatians, he called us heirs of God. In Romans chapter 8, he says, beginning in verse, oh, let's see, I'll begin in verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, now look at this, then heirs, heirs of God. Now, I'll tell you, I'm about ready to have a running spell with the rest of this. I mean, what he just said, that's good. But wait, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Wow. You know, somebody rich dies and they name a lot of people in their will. And uh, they'll leave so much to one person, so much to another and so on. That's not what he did for us. He made us joint heirs with Christ. I'm a joint heir. You talk about secure, man. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's pretty high. You you think pretty high of yourself, don't you? Nope. But God told me he thought pretty high of me. He made me a joint. Oh, listen, this goes even farther. Go down to verse verse 30, uh, let's see, 30 and 31. He says, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now look at this, verses 31, 32. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Why? We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. When we approach the father, because of Jesus, when we approach the father, He treats us like his son. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ. You say, but I feel so unworthy. Well, don't get over yourself. You are. He's done it all. So he gets all the glory for it. We don't have to come beating ourselves up with how sorry we are. I mean, if we've got something we haven't gotten right, yeah, get right so your fellowship is restored. But as far as your position with him, you're still a joint here with Jesus Christ if you're saved. You belong to him. That's a marvelous position. But now, that leads us to the contradiction of heirs. Before saved, you sought the rules of other gods. Look at verse 7. Are there any of you that remember a missionary from India by the name of B. Sumath? 
Anybody here remember that name? Larry, you ought to remember that name. B. Sumath. I'm, I'm pretty sure that y'all supported him when you were at New Union. And you probably supported him here early on. But uh, he was an Indian man, and he would get up when he preached. Whatever scripture was going to be read, he'd have somebody else read it. And he'd just call on people. Read this here. Read this here. Of course, that scared some people to death. But anyway, that's what I feel like doing. That's why it made me think of B. Summa. Um, look at verse 7. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it? When ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. Now he's going back. Here's what you were like when you were lost. You didn't know God. You had gods you tried to appease. You might have even called your God Jehovah, and you might even have called your, your Savior Jesus. But if you made up a salvation that was based on works and not faith, you were still lost. You were trying to please yourself. Wait, notice what he goes on to say. But now after that you have known God, or rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years. Now that is a ceremonial part of the law. It's also something that takes place uh, in other religions as well. But the whole point is this. In all the other religions that are out there, you're trying to do certain things to appease your God in order to go to heaven. Before I got saved, I, I believe there was a God in heaven, but I, and I believe that I was going to stand before him and he had this big scale and he put all my good works on one side, all my bad works on the other. And I tried to be a good person because I wanted to go to heaven. And I thought that's what decided whether or not you went to heaven. Now, I called my God, God. And I might even have acknowledged Jesus in some form, at least a Jesus not the Jesus of the book, because I didn't know him. That is salvation by works, when you're trying to do certain things. For instance, if you're coming to church three services a week in order to earn your salvation, then, friend, you're lost. I don't come to church every time the doors are open because I want it to take me to heaven. I do it because I'm going to heaven. I belong to him. I'm his child. I'm a joint heir with Christ. And he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I want to be where he's at. I want to be where his people are at. It's wonderful. But now, the Jews thought salvation was of the law. Not true. They would have said they worshiped Jehovah God. But go back to Romans, Romans chapter 10. Now think about it this way. We can turn to Romans chapter 10 as we study Galatians. But when the Galatians were first, when they had the book being read to them, they couldn't turn to Romans. It hadn't been written yet. And yet the message is the same in both places. Notice in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now pay close attention. For I bear them, that's Israel, record. That they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness 
and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. That's exactly why Jesus got after the Jews. They thought their works were taking them to heaven. He said what they did, they did in vain. Notice the next verse. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Hallelujah. I don't have to look at the law. Oh, no, I broke that one. Oh, no, I messed up on that one. No, I I wasn't there for that. I didn't take part in that feast day. I didn't. It can't condemn me. It brought me to Christ. I'm saved. Hallelujah. I'm free. He's not talking. He's not saying a thing about sanctification of having standards in your life and putting yourself under standards. Not even talking about that. He's talking about being justified by faith. You say, preacher, you keep saying that over and over again because I want you to get it. Listen, I read a lot of commentaries and most of the commentators don't get it. Most of them get it. They're as messed up in the book of Galatians as they could be. And some of them are fundamental people. And you wonder, how do they miss it? Because it's so plain. Notice what he says in verse 11. He says, I'm afraid of you. Lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He said, I'm afraid. If you really believe that you've got to now keep the law in order to be saved. You've got to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. In order to have eternal, I'm afraid of you. I wasted my time on you. He's afraid whether or not these people are even born again. Whether or not they are really sons. So then he goes into the admonition for the heirs, H-E-I-R-S. He gives an admonition. He reminds them, first of all, he takes them back to when they got saved. Now, we're only going through verse 20 tonight. And we'll move much quicker now. Verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through the infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now, When he talks about the infirmity in the flesh that he had, some people think it might have been that thorn in the flesh that he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 12. Maybe it is. Some think that Paul had some kind of uh, a running sore in his eyes that was just, you know, eyes constantly red. uh, And there's a name for that. And I know it starts with an O, but I, I can't remember it right at this moment. But that's not, that's not really important. Some think it might have something to do with the stoning that he had taken at Lystra when he had been stoned. And that cre- doesn't make any difference. Whatever it was, they received him. Whatever obnoxious thing it might have seemed in his flesh, they had received him well the first time. So he says in verse 15, Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. You understand why he's so shocked? These people had received the gospel message he had preached. They had received him. They treated him, as a matter of fact. Notice as we go on, he says, And am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. 
They, these ones that brought another message, zealously affect you, but not well, that they would exclude you, that you might affect them. But if it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I'm present with you. Now look at this. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. Back in verse 14, he says that they received him as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You understand why Paul is so shocked at how they're viewing him all of a sudden? And do you know why they're viewing him like they do? Even counting him an enemy? Because they weren't careful about who they listened to. They listened to these people with a false gospel. And now they don't like Paul. And yet they had even treated him as Jesus Christ in the place of Christ. Now, understand this. If you had somebody lead you to the Lord, you probably think pretty high of them. I know David thinks pretty high of Ray Barry. I mean, Ray Barry led him to Christ. How great is that? You may think of a particular person that won you to Christ. You've got very high feelings. Nothing wrong with that. And they served him and they served Paul in Christ's place, in Christ's stead. But let's be careful for a moment. We are men followers. Everybody is. You can follow the right men or you can follow the wrong men. I'm not the first one to walk this path. Somebody else has walked it before me. I'm following them. Paul told the Corinthians, follow me even as I also follow Christ. He told the Philippians, follow me. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with following men as long as you're following the right men. But get this. I've had this happen before. You lead somebody to Christ. And I say, you need to tell somebody. And so the next person they see that comes into the church or whatever, hey, Brother Allison, save me. Now, as soon as that statement is made, the hyper-spiritual say, Brother Allison didn't save you, Jesus saved you. Now, technically, theologically, that is true. But I'll remind you that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I am become all things to all men that I might by all means win some to Christ. By me, yeah, by me. What a, how does it say it? Save some. Save some. That I, I, by all means save some. I tell you, this throat is playing with my mind. Um. Understand, they'll get the theology right. Just don't rebuke that new believer. He doesn't know how to say it. He's a new believer. He's not been to Bible Institute yet. It'll come, though, as he studies his Bible. But that's good. So he thinks very highly of These people thought very highly of Paul. So notice how he closes this section in verse 20. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice. For I, look at this, I stand in doubt of you. Unfortunately, there have been people that I have led, I thought, to Jesus Christ. 
that I doubt that they really got saved. I mean, if you've led many people to Christ, you've got to. Now, I try not to be one of those people. And we say, somebody says, hey, I, led, I, I, I had seven saved tonight. Well, how many of them really got saved? As many as believe got saved. Isn't that right? As many as believe got saved. And so, uh, matter of fact, the one you're not doubting may be the very one that didn't. You need to watch yourself about that. Hey, sometimes in a great meeting, a bunch of people get saved. And who knows, maybe all of them really got it. But that's between them and God. You're just not going to know that. That's why I've never put notches on my Bible. God takes care of that, that stuff. He saves all that believe, all of them. And he's got it down. His word is right. So, getting back to what Paul is saying to the Galatians, still talking about being justified by faith. But he is not in doubt of them because they were now drinking and smoking. He's not in doubt of them because now they were living some sexually promiscuous life. He's not in doubt of them because they're cursing. He's in doubt of them because they're accepting a false way to be saved. That's why he's in doubt. And that's why he's concerned about whether or not he wasted his time in even going to them. Justified by faith. And thank God, I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Man, you can leave here tonight with your head held high, praising God for how he has exalted you to a position of joint heir with his son. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the things you've given us tonight. I pray, dear God, we'd stay grounded in this book, in this truth. Please, Lord. Because only in this truth that we're justified by faith is there real salvation. Lord, help us to be proclaimers of that message. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.